0: Good morning, Crossway family. I hope you are doing well. Um, I'm so glad you joined us. Um, just a little bit earlier, Pastor Sam prayed for another church in Brea. Uh, They're near downtown in Brea, and um, uh, we know the pastor there as well. And they have a preschool there, and I guess there was an outbreak so of COVID, and the pastor caught it, and uh, he um You know, It it affected him, I think, the worst, unfortunately, and so uh, his name is Kelly Fellows, and so just during the week, if you could pray for him, um, they've asked us and the other churches in Brea to join in prayer, so we're praying for uh, our dear brother there and their church, Um, so please lift them up as uh, Pastor Sam had prayed and asked, and uh, we're looking forward to gathering together next week. We were all ready to go. And our office here is packed with a bunch of stuff, uh, canopies and a bunch of things for our in-person service. And uh, we decided it might be just better uh, to sit and worship when the air is a little bit better. And so that's next week. And so make sure you join us at 9 o'clock if you are able to. Or 1030 here on YouTube, uh, we'll be going live here as well. And so we're looking forward to all of that. You know, we continue... Uh, looking at uh, Habakkuk. And we're in chapter 2, and we're in a place where uh, God answers. And really, God answers Habakkuk and the Israelites when they're going through some difficult times. And these last six months, for all of us, if there's any kind of comfort in that, whatever we've gone through, we've all gone through it together, living through this pandemic, uh, whatever hardships it is. And I don't know what you run to. The world is running to security. The world is looking for uh, wealth, and there's an understanding of wealth providing security and comfort and pleasure and all these things, and wealth is a good thing. But wealth makes a terrible idol, and the Bible here in the passage that we read says that wealth is a traitor. And so that's the first message that God says to Habakkuk. Habakkuk cried out to God for an answer. Remember, the Israelites in the southern kingdom of Judah, we were now in imminent danger as this powerful nation of Babylon, or also known as the Chaldeans, were now lurking at the door. And they're asking for help. And you can imagine the Israelites who are weak, who are afraid, and they're looking at their adversaries, and they have so much. They're resourceful, their city has plenty, they are powerful. They're maybe wishing, boy, if I had that much. If I had that much, if I had, if we, our land had as much as the Babylonian Empire, we would be set, and and we might be doing that as well. You might have caught yourself daydreaming about, boy, if I only had this much, or looking on someone on Instagram, an influencer or someone that has so much, and you say, boy, look uh, look how many cars they have, look where they're at, look what they're doing, or maybe it's even someone that's closer to you that you know. You say, boy, only if they. Um, had, or if I had what they had. And so we might be thinking about those things. And here, God in His Word reminds us that wealth, yeah, it's good, it's given by God, but when it becomes our idol, that's where the problem lies. It says it's a traitor. And when it becomes our idol, just a little background, you look at verse 2 of the passage that we read. The Lord answered me. This is Habakkuk saying, boy, God now finally responded. And God first tells him to write all these things down. Make, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. Now go and spread this message. And the first message that God gives to Habakkuk is don't make an idol out of wealth. Don't look at the Babylonian empire and say, boy, if we had that much. Don't look at your neighbor. Don't look on social media and say, boy, if I could live like them, if I lived there, if I had what they had, this wouldn't be so bad. Because he says, we, you as a people of God, we as Christians, we're different. Uh, We don't follow the ways of the world. And so he tells us those things. He says here, it's interesting because wealth, Acquiring riches is good, but acquiring riches affects the soul. It doesn't help our soul. It says in verse 4, behold, his soul is puffed up. He's still speaking about the Babylonians. And he's saying the rich that trust in the uh, wealthy, their soul is puffed up. So wealth provides material things. Wealth provides things for you to eat and enjoy, pleasurable things. But for the soul, for our spirits, he says, these people, their souls are puffed up. Uh, This little phrase, puffed up. It could be translated in inflated. It's like a balloon that is inflated to its max. And if you've ever blown up some balloons and, you know, it gets to its kind of capacity and you're trying to figure out when to stop, when not to stop. And even the colors are getting lighter as it's getting stretched out. And one commentator says that is describing these people who make wealth, their idols. He says the, their souls are inflated. They lack stability and a pinprick can make them collapse. It'll make it pop. Uh, they're becoming weaker. And he says, "Those who make now wealth, they're idol, their souls are so weak, because if they have it, uh, they get puffed up. If they don't have it, they might just pop in this way. This is why uh, Jesus reminds us in Luke 12:15, "Take care, be on your guard." Against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He reminds the disciples and reminds us today, there is your soul you have to tend to. You have to not just feed the stomach, but you have to feed the soul. You cannot just take care of the house that you live in, but you got to take care of your own soul. One's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. There's more to this life. Why is it those who have a lot more than you or I that they often are in search of meaning? They are sad. They are down. There's more than just the things. And the text here tells us, and it talks about the idol of wealth. And I want to describe it in four parts today for you. Uh, The description of what, making wealth an idol does to us. First of all, uh, number one, wealth is a traitor, it says. Uh, this passage here, it just in verse 5, moreover, it says wine is a traitor in the ESV, right? You look in verse 5, but you'll see a footnote in your Bibles. And when you look at the footnote, that word wine, also in the footnote says wealth. So some manuscripts had used the word wine, some used the word wealth, they're very similar and uh, the commentators, like F.F. Bruce, for example, prefers and says, in the context, it should be the word wealth. And it kind of makes more sense in a way. Right? So we're going to use it as the word wealth. Wealth is a traitor. So wealth, your possessions, uh, your riches, your money, is personified all of a sudden. It's called a traitor. If you think about a traitor, and I don't know if you've ever been backstabbed or hurt it hurts even more because the traitor, the person, um, is someone you trust. right? So if it is a friend, if it is a beloved person, if it's a family member and they break your trust, it hurts a lot more than a stranger. A stranger could leave you behind. A stranger could now ignore you. But if it's a dear friend or if it's even a relative, we might say, boy, the pain from a traitor is that much stronger. Why? Because there's a, there's a essence of trust, I trust in this person. Now, wealth is personified. Wealth is described as a traitor. It's saying if you put your trust, if you say, boy, my joy and my life and my trust and my security comes from wealth and you now treat your wealth like a good friend, uh, they will betray you. They will be a traitor. The idea of traitor is someone who leaves you behind, someone who is not there when you need them, someone who doesn't fulfill what you ultimately need. That same word, um, traitor, is used in Job chapter 6, and it's translated in the ESV as treacherous, right? And it's, just kind of the, sa- it's the same word in the original language, whether it's traitor or treacherous. In Job chapter 6, Uh, Job is talking about his friends, and he talks about how his friends have become traitors to him. In Job chapter 6, it says, My brothers are treacherous as a torrent bed, as torrential streams that pass away, it says. It passes away. Uh, They are treacherous. They are traitors. And it describes them as a torrent bed. You say, what is a torrent bed? Uh, Torrential streams, uh, as torrential streams that pass away. A torrent bed. Uh, was a depression of rocks or on the ground. And so those who are now hiking or walking through the desert, they would find a little pool of water on the hillside or on the ground. And obviously back then, and as now, if you're going for a long period of time, you cannot carry your water. You've got to find water as you go. And you would see now this puddle or pool of water. And boy, you think it's going to be there but it just catches the rain that goes down and after you look away, and after a little bit of time, that water would disappear. Uh, you, might be, you might do this when you were young and you make now a sand castle and you put a moat or you dig a hole at the beach and you are now collecting water. We've all done this. And you are getting buckets and you're bringing water and you're dumping it in. You wanna make your little pool and you go away uh, to go get, some, you know, go, go get lunch or something and you come back and the water is now gone. It's seeped through. And that's how Job describes his own friends, his own brothers. He says they are, uh, they are treacherous, a torrent bed. And that's the idea of wealth. If you depend on it, if you think your life that that's all that matters and you trust in it, it will not be there when you need it. It will not support you when you need it. It will not lift you up because you have it. And so don't depend on it. Don't make it your idol. I was rereading. Uh, Tim Keller's book, Counterfeit Idols. And in it, he talks about uh, what we make into an idol. Just a little quote. It says, if we look to some creative thing to give us the meaning, hope, and happiness that only God himself can give, it will eventually fail to deliver and break our hearts. It'll break our hearts. So if you look at any material thing, and if you think, boy, if I could only have that, and that'll give my life meaning and worth, um, it'll break your heart. And so, wealth, the idol of wealth is described here by God in that little phrase as a traitor. Here today, gone tomorrow. Uh, You depend on it now and you think if I have this, it'll give me all of this, but it never fully delivers and it will break your heart. Wealth, secondly, is described, uh, the idol of wealth gives a false sense of self-worth. It's interesting. You look here. The very next description in verse five of Habakkuk two. Moreover, wine or wealth is a traitor, and he describes it as a, an arrogant man, an arrogant man. Right. Uh, arrogant, someone who is puffed up, someone who lacks reality, someone who thinks they are smarter than they really are, better looking than they really are, wiser than they really are, an arrogant person, someone who thinks they are better than the other people, that they deserve something. And we catch ourselves, don't we, in our our modern day, we say things like, I deserve this. I deserve vacation. I deserve uh, a break. I deserve better service. And we use that thought often. But we have to be also very careful that it doesn't make us arrogant. He says the person who acquires all this wealth can easily become now the arrogant man. It's a false sense of self-worth and it is a terrible place to go to get self-worth. We know this, right? The world around us says that the more you have, we treat you like you are better looking We treat them like they are smarter. We will sit down and listen to someone simply because they're rich, not because they have studied. Simply because they are rich, their opinion now matters. All of a sudden, the richer the person, the funnier that they are. The richer the person, the more important that they are. And we treat them like that in our society today. And he says, boy, that's the system of the world. The system of the world says, the more you have, the better you are. The more you have, the better you are. Unfortunately, even in uh, the Christian world, there's been a group of people who have taken now the prosperity gospel and they've somehow tried to correlate the amount of their possessions to demonstrate how blessed they are. And so they demonstrate, boy, by having a lot and living in a certain way and wearing certain clothes and showing it off and letting you know the more faith you have, the more things you will get. So if I could show you the more things that I have that I'm more blessed by God, and it is an abomination to the gospel, right? That is the opposite of the gospel. You know, the, that is the thought of the world today. That is the system of the culture we live in. And that has crept into the church. And sometimes you turn on, on whether it's TV or you find these popular, well-known people, and they're preaching a false gospel in this way. You know, we have to be so very careful of that message. Um, There was a study done, and we don't even need a study to prove this, right? We've all seen it, uh, where uh, someone would treat someone with money uh, like they are better. Uh, There was a study done with 300 men and women separately. And what they did was they gave them a photo, uh, 300 photos of the opposite gender. And they would look at the photo and they would rate them on a scale of 1 to 10. Oh, he's a 7. He's a six. Eh, He's a nine. And they would just rate it real quick. And after they rated them and they wrote down what their number was uh, in the study, they now told them how much money each person makes. This person makes six figures. This person makes seven figures. And what they found out was those who were rich now, when they went back to the pictures and they saw the salary, and boy, wow, there's a lot of zeros behind his salary, they got bumped up. An average of two points. Now, so the 7 out of 10, right? That's barely passing in high school, right? You're at 70%. You're barely graduating. And boy, because this person makes X amount of money, they get bumped up into now a 9. You get a bunch of 9 out of 10s in high school, you get medals and ropes around your neck and things, and you're, you're, you're kind of lifted up. Just because, and it was the same picture, but it just showed how much they had. And we've all seen that, right? We've all seen someone, and you say, boy, that grandpa is with that person who is 30 years younger, who looks like a model. Why? Well, because he's rich. And that's the way of the world, and we cannot take that to ourselves, and we cannot assume that is how God works. And we have to be also very careful of uh, becoming arrogant in this way, So arrogance here, in that little phrase, he talks about if we have now wealth as an idol, it affects how I view myself. It affects how I view those, right? And then the next thing uh, that we look at is greed. It affects how I view everything else now. Everything becomes something that I want to consume. So where arrogance is how I view myself, now greed, thirdly, uh, the wealth is traded because it, it leads to greed Greed now is, it changes how I view everything else. Now I want everything for me. It says here in verse 5 again, in the in the latter part, His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. There's that little phrase. In death, he has never enough. Never enough. And he's living in greed. Uh, the words here that are mentioned, described as wide as Sheol. Sheol is... The grave—it's the place of the dead, and so it is as wide as you Now, if you—you've you've all probably been to a funeral, or a, uh, you know, a mortuary, or you've been to now uh, maybe one of these—you uh, uh, know—you know, just the mass of land and the amounts of people that are buried there, and uh, you know some of the some of them, they, they keep their body in there for only X amount of time. They say over, I think it was 100 years, after 100 years, no one will be there to remember you. All right? uh, Rose Hills here, um, they uh, said, oh man, we keep the bodies in here forever. And so that's one of their marketing things that like you won't be taken back out eventually. But their land from the entrance at Rose Hills, for example, from the entrance, if you've ever gone there, and if you drive at their speed limit, you can go back for 45 minutes. And that's how much land that they have. And so they, the, the, the picture we have here is everyone is now going to die, right? And so it's the picture of the earth swallowing up the people. And it says the greed that a person might have, the amount of things that they want is as wide as Sheol swallowing up all these people. It's nonstop. It's too much. When is it enough, right? And that's the argument here. And he says, like death, he has never enough. Never enough. That little phrase, he has never enough, all of us could testify to that. All of us can say in a humble, repentant way right now, yes, that's me. It's never enough. I don't have enough. And you go... Uh, whether it's a toddler with now bookcases and boxes filled with toys, or an adult that has closets filled with clothes and houses and rooms and cars, and it's never fully enough. It's interesting when you go to uh, Exodus and Deuteronomy over and over. There is this message of contentment, and then they grumble, and God tells them to be content to be satisfied with what they have, but they grumble. And it's a story of them learning to find now contentment and not greed. For them, their idol still was now having much. Their idol was wealth. And so if their idol is still wealth, it's never enough. If their God became the God of their hearts on the throne, then they would understand that. And it was a 40-year discipleship for them to learn this. And you see it, if you look at it, over and over, that same message, they never had enough, they grumbled. And God is teaching them over and over and over. I remember back in the days, right? It's, it kind of sounds like it's a long time ago. right? But I remember when we had bookstores, and often on, uh, after dinner on a Friday night or something, we would go hang out at a Barnes & Noble or... Uh, or Borders bookstore, and just hang out. Everyone, we say, okay, go and and we probably all did this, but I remember when our kids were little too, we said, go, go to the mag- magazine section, go get some books you want to read, and as parents, you felt pretty good, because everyone's quote-unquote reading, and it's something good for them, and you're spending that evening doing something, and you'd all gather at a table, and uh, you know, you do it, but you know, one of the nice things about that was you go to the magazine section, which basically are all ads, right? It's just mostly pictures. You tell the kids, go get some books. And then I would go to the magazine section and go find the the golf equipment and then the sports stuff and we look at that. You know, Sharon would go get the Martha Stewart magazine and whatever it is and she would look at that. But what does that show you? It shows the interest of a person. (laughs) Those big magazine sections in the, in the front of the bookstores, it was huge and it showed how many publications there were because, boy, everyone wanted something. There are magazines about cars, there's magazines about woodwork, there's magazines about homes and about traveling and about clothes. And vac- Anything you could think of, there was a new magazine coming out. Every couple of weeks, the next edition is coming out. The new thing is coming out. And that section never shrank. It kept growing. What's the next thing? We can never have enough. About average, I'm just off the top of my head, I'm guessing. all right. About once a year or so, uh, we'll get someone that'll send a scam email to our staff. And I'll get a text all of a sudden and say, uh, Hey, Pastor Steve, did you really need a $1,000 Apple gift card uh, you know, sent to Nigeria or wherever it was? Um, and so we would look at it and someone would go on our website and they would take all of our staff's email and they would shoot them all an email and they would make a fake email under my name and it would be like Crossway at gmail. They would make something up and send it. And it's been over and over and about once a year, uh, this email goes out. So someone will text me, did you email? Are you in need of something? This is fake, right? Uh, and let me just tell you, if you've ever got that kind of email from me, it's not me. But the person that's doing this, or the people that, 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 that does this, to go onto a church website, find everyone's emails, to come up with all of this, trying to get a $500 gift card or a $1,000 gift card sent somewhere. It's every year. It's, it's, we're about due. We should probably get one soon, right? And so if you get one, just be ready for that. Uh, but it comes up regularly. Because the greed that is there in the world. So if we make wealth our idol, all of a sudden we look at everything around us and uh, it's never enough. Fourthly is uh, this idea of wealth. uh, It can make a person self-centered. You have to be also very careful that the more you possess, and some of you are doing well, some of you are making the most money you've ever made and good for you, but you have to be oh so very careful and so very sober in your thoughts so that you do not become self-centered. In this last part of verse 5, God describes the wealthy. He describes the arrogant at the end of it. In the last phrase, he gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. And there are these two phrases here: for himself, and second part collects as his own. He collects it for himself as his own. Both phrases in the original language are actually identical. The ESV tries to do this so it's a little bit more readable. But really, he gathers everything. He works hard and he earns everything, but it's for himself. And it's repeated. The repetition here it points to. Now, listen here. Don't let this skip by you. As his own. He collects all. So the Babylonian empire is spreading and they are taking over. And you kind of ask, when are they going to stop? Why do they have to conquer more? And they want to conquer more. They want to conquer more. So they're looking at the enemy. And why are they now after us? The northern kingdom is already gone. The southern kingdom is now barely hanging in there. Why are they coming for more? And now God describes the person who makes wealth his idol. Whether it's a nation or a person, he says he gathers for himself. He collects as his own, all peoples, all nations. The question we have today is who is sitting on the throne of your heart? Who rules your life? It is easy to make it about myself. And we as Christians are different. Christ is on the throne of our lives. It is always for him. And so we do for him and how he wants us to live. And so we handle now the affections of our hearts by what Christ wants for us to do. He is on the throne. And so we have to ask ourselves, what does God want from me? How does God want me to live? Those of you who are parents, you have to think, how does God want me to raise my child, not how do I want to raise my child? And those of you who are maybe looking to meet someone, you've got to ask, who does Christ want me to marry, not who do I want to marry? Um, and so all of this is centered around who is on the throne of your life. And it is Christ, you know, in Philippians chapter 3, there's a little verse here, right? In verse 319, Philippians 3.19, they're in this destruction. Their God is their belly, it says. Their God is their belly. Uh, Paul is describing the world, the world outside of the church. Their God is their belly, that little phrase. It's about their appetite. It's about what they enjoy. This is their small God, G-O-D. The God is their belly. It's interesting because in Rome during those days, one of the... Uh, things that Rome and the the wealthy of Rome and the powerful of Rome were known for were the feasts that they would throw. And the feasts, historians write about this and scholars write about this. Oftentimes, even Christ refers to a feast and invites not just the rich, but he invites the sinners and so on. And eating and feasting was a big deal. It was a way to demonstrate power. It was a way to demonstrate to others how much you have. And it says the God is their belly. right? Uh, they were showing off how much they had. They were showing off how much they enjoy. And they only lived for that feast, for that time. Um, the banquet of the day. Uh, there are stories and there are uh, studies been done about these Roman banquets, right? And there's uh, even... Uh, descriptions of a vomitorium that people would go and vomit so they could eat again and so on, right, during these times. Uh, but I was reading on some of these uh, uh, banquets that were held. I mean, it, it, it would put these buffets we would go to to shame. They would have uh, special types of meats. You know, I was reading one. Uh, pheasants, and every type of songbird, raw oysters, lobsters, shellfish, venison, boar, peacocks. I mean, th- these were just uh, uh, a sample of what they would have. And also, the, the richer and the more powerful you are, you would make demands to your chef. And so some would demand, I want every dish that's going to come out for the next couple of days to be blue. The color had to be blue. And so the chefs would have to get creative and come up with a sauce or some way to make everything from the appetizers to the main meals to the dessert, to everything that they would have in the sauces and all of this, it had to have a shade of blue, for example. Uh, The dining rooms were ornate. The dining rooms would have art and sculptures, and the one record is there's a dining, one of the Dining rooms, they had the roof kind of would open, have an opening and servants would go and throw petals of roses while you are eating there and dining there. And silverware uh, was literally made out of full silver, gold, some of it even uh, precious stones, crystal and onyx. And during that time, you would have entertainment. And so it would be a, an average room. It would be a U-shaped uh uh, room right They would shape it in, with three sofas, big sofas, and there would be all the food is in the middle, and you would have entertainment in the middle, and they would have singers and dancers and uh, they would have gladiators actually come out and fight, they would have trained animals, so on and so forth. so for the wealthy, this is a way for them to now demonstrate their power. This is their way to now invite. The right people. This is a way to impress others. Their God is their belly, Paul says. He says this is now the self-centeredness that the culture around them in the first century lived with. And this is what we see today. God is their belly. That is the culture of our day. And we have to be also very careful that why you work so hard, why you have aspirations of now going to school and finishing and working and all of these things, and why you have your house, why you have your things is not just for yourself, but somehow you could use it to bless others. It's interesting, you know... um, Back in verse 4, if you go back a verse in Habakkuk chapter 2, God contrasts now the soul of the puffed up. And he says that the righteous, the contrast is in verse 4, the righteous shall live by his faith. There's that little phrase, the righteous shall live by his faith. Uh, You look in the New Testament and that phrase is mentioned over and over. The righteous shall live by faith. They are justified by their faith. They are living. And so there are several aspects to that little phrase. And I want to encourage you to live this out, right? There's the idea of we are justified by our faith. So it's not by our works. God says, you, I declare you righteous by your faith, right? And this is what the Reformers fought for, right? That we are justified by our faith, not our good deeds. And there's another side to this, a practical daily side of saying, I will rely on my faith to get by. I will trust God and my faith will sustain me even if I don't have much long as I have God that I can get by in life. And that is that aspect. You know, in F.F. Bruce, in his commentary on this little phrase, he says, and I want to share this quote, the righteous person, is the one who maintains loyalty to God in spite of all discouragement and continues to trust in Him even when the outlook is most unpromising. Even if it looked really bad, even if it looked tough, they would remain and maintain their loyalty to God. And let me encourage you today to maintain your loyalty to God. Trust in Him. He is not a traitor. He is there for you. He is the friend who is there for you. He is present with you. And we are people who don't just drink of any water. We drink of the living water. We are people who do not just say, God is my belly. I just want to eat what is present here now. No, we eat of the bread of life, Jesus Christ. And so when it comes to the status of my soul, my meaning in life, my self-worth, what I'm living for, my security. Wealth makes a terrible idol. God is the ultimate answer to all those things. And now our souls are being fed. We are people of faith, Crossway family. You are people of faith. You are Christians. You are different than the world. And so next time you see those in the world and they're living for the things of the world, and you find yourself drifting that way, would you pause and remind yourself, I am a child of God, I am a son and daughter of God, and my meaning, my satisfaction, my purpose of life, and all the things that I need, ultimately, it comes from Christ, and I will live for Him. Would you have Him at the center of your life? Have them sit on the throne of your hearts and rule your life in this way. Let's pray together, could we? Thank you, Lord, that you provide all that we need that the world cannot provide. God, we often see with our eyes and we still uh, fall for that and many times. The idol of wealth. We look at those who have more and we oftentimes ask, uh, only if I had that much. Don't I deserve that much? But Lord, when we pause like today and we look at the cross of Christ, we realize you gave us way more than anything uh, that we deserve. We deserve nothing. You gave us eternal life. So we trust in you. During these difficult times, um, Lord, fix our eyes on you. God, during these times of uncertainty, help us define our security in you. We as Christians, we live Uh, looking at you, Lord. So God, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.